prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, today is Thursday, December 8th. I've got it just before 5 p.m. here in the mountains of Arizona, and uh, that makes it 7 p.m. or just about Eastern Standard Time. We're coming to you guys tape delayed because I spent this whole week sick, and uh, I've been... I'm going to say that it probably wasn't COVID because I've had that now twice. Um, but uh, influenza or something to that effect has, has kind of slowed me down. So we're going to tape it and make sure that I don't uh, fall over myself and uh, end up coughing into a silly fit right now. Uh, I'm joined by a real Steve friend, my buddy Stephen Friend, the uh, the sort of yin to my yang on this uh, whistleblower ex- expedition that we've been on. Uh, the two of us, many of you are familiar with, have uh, had kind of stepped into the public at the same time without knowing each other. And it's been a really uh, a great blessing to have someone that's been able to see things the same way from a totally different set of offices, from a totally different experience set. And we came to the same conclusions at exactly the same time um, with a kind of a different set of uh, folks that we've uh, interacted with. So uh, we're going to talk about a couple things today. Steve uh, has penned his second op-ed. He's doing a fantasy writer seminar right now where he's getting uh, folks to publish out his op-eds and, and i'm grateful that he's getting his voice out there in ways that are in written form people can see we're going to talk about the uh, fbi they had a uh, an all-hands meeting uh where we were uh auspiciously missing and yet we were not unaware of what happened so we're going to share with you some of the questions which are nauseating and embarrassing um we're going to talk about the equal opportunity employment commission and the fact that the fbi actually handles their own there's a couple of things that happened with the Office of the Inspector General uh, with the DOJ's OIG and uh, just the general lack of transparency in the Bureau. And then we'll finish up here with the crime and punishment. So stick around for uh, me and producer Phil trying to guess what we've got from the grab bag of fun that uh, Steve told me he's uh, dug into. So Steve, thanks for joining me. Welcome. And uh, how you feeling today, buddy? I'm a little bit nervous uh, after my my COVID uh, column that I put that the absurdity that we we approach the entire pandemic with. I'm thinking that your disease might jump through the computer at me because that would be consistent with the logic that uh, we seem to follow for the last 1,000 days since uh, the 15 days to flatten the curve. Right. So we were going to have two weeks to, to flatten the curve, two weeks to slow the spread, right? That was the that was the idea. Um, I pulled up the article here, which I think we should be able to see, interrogating COVID after a thousand days. Kind of walk us through it. Um, I can scan through here if you got any highlights we like to do. I noticed you put a barf and shaking my head. So we're, we're keeping it to the highly professional level of bureau writing I can see, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, like you said before, I've been kind of playing a columnist fantasy camp. Uh, until I, I land a paying gig somewhere uh, now that I'm in unpaid status. And uh, you and I have had the fortune to come across Tracy Beans. So she uh, she lent her platform to me, uh, Uncover DC, and she agreed to uh, to print and, and publish my, my column here. So we're hitting the 1,000-day mark of this Sunday since uh, the President Trump came out and, and, and made that announcement that we were going to all stay home. And I just been seething for the last three years. You know, I, I told Tracy at the time, she asked me why I wanted to write it. And I said, uh, it was single-handedly the uh, the worst public policy decision that was made in not only the history of the country or the planet, but in the galaxy. So I, I noticed the galaxy, yeah. No no hyperbole <laughs> at all. Not, none whatsoever. Right. Um, so I just kind of went through and, uh, and just as an investigator, not a scientist, not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I, I lack all those credentials. But I do have uh, some critical thinking skills, 
and uh, you know hit some large areas. You know the the, the nature of the how the virus originated, uh, the vaccination, uh, the medicine, and then all the uh, non pharmaceutical interventions, and just the absolute absurdity of it. Just ask reasonable questions that I would if if uh, you know our one of our betters was in an interrogation room in front of me, and I'd like to like to drill down and and try to play up the snark and then bring some of that with also some. Uh, some actual logic and facts, and hopefully anybody who reads it will will appreciate both sides. And uh, one of the things you brought up in there is sort of the terms that have, have joined us that did not exist three years ago. You and I didn't grow up with these terms. I know Phil didn't grow up with these terms. I don't know anybody that knew what social distancing was. All distance is antisocial, in my opinion. So it's it's sort of the opposite of, yes. uh, of logic. But you, you know, you, you called out a few of them. This gain of function. Everybody became a virologist over the last three years. It sounds about right. Yeah, everybody's talked about their seroprevalence study that they were, you know, and they were worried about the immunocompromised and and, uh, and and just the different variants. And I mean, we were all just throwing out these this lingo, and uh, it was just. But we all kind of went to school for do we had nothing else to do other than order Uber Eats and binge watch uh, Tiger King. Which, by the way, uh, just totally side note here. But uh, did I tell you that I probably met uh, whatever the, what's the guy's name from the Tiger King? I don't know. Uh, Joe, I, Joe, Joe Exotic. I say you didn't watch it, so you failed no, us. But refused. I watched it. I sat down <laughs> with my wife and I and I said, everybody's watching this thing. Uh, we should you know check into it and be aware about what's happening in the world because we're citizens of this country like everybody else. So uh, we tuned into the Tiger King. And first of all, it's like a car accident in slow motion. So you can't not watch it. Um, there's a woman in there who had her arm bitten off, but she went back to work a couple of days later, just a total animal, just awesome human being. And she wasn't mad about it. She was like, that's what tigers do. They try to rip your arm off. Like, yeah. uh, you work with tigers. One day you lose your hand. That was pretty wild. But what's really wild is that when I was an undergrad, 2000, 2001, something like that. Um, I was in the University of Oklahoma, and obviously Joe Exotic is from Oklahoma. He's in the Arbuckle region, which is uh, south of Oklahoma City, and or he was at the time. And what's really crazy is that I had a, a guy that was on my floor that was a drag queen. He was hideous. He was just the worst at it, but he was trying to see himself in that scene. And we, we we're just you know, open-minded 18, 19 year old kids that don't want to see somebody get beat up or have their, you know, whatever their new life crushed before their eyes. So we, we went with them to these drag shows, uh, which were in Oklahoma city, which has an enormous, uh, weird gay scene. That is, um, it's the only major city in several hours in all directions. So we showed up at these, these gay clubs and we would take him to the drag shows and kind of babysit him through it. And his name was Barbie masters. And it was God awful. It was the worst thing you've ever seen. There's some pretty convincing, uh, drag Queens that, you know, they, they really figured out how to dress like that, but, uh, Matt was not one of them. And so anyway, Barbie masters was just God awful and really, really uncomfortable to watch. And, uh, during one of these weird outings when we're out there like in late night in Oklahoma city as a bunch of underage, non-drinking, you know, teens, um, coming up from the university, this guy came up to me and I swear to God, it was Joe exotic because he used the exact same line that apparently worked with his second husband in the show. Um, and it was something to the effect about pornography with women. And if you, you know, only watch pornography with only women in it or something to that effect. And if you watch pornography with guys in it then you're part gay that was his claim it's a really memorable thing to say to somebody uh, i remember it you know it's more than 20 years ago in my past and i'm pretty <laughs> sure that was the same guy because i don't think a lot of people are running around spitting out that line and i'm watching that show and i was like honey i think that guy took a pass at me <laughs> 20 something years ago she was wow. like well 
I'm glad it didn't work. It's like, yeah, look at the dimwits that it did work on. But the the country locked in, watched the Tiger King, as you said. Sorry, I got totally. That's just one of those weird things. And speaking of uh, ridiculous things, you, apparently you you had a physician who put on a jaguar mask and was doing like a shake shaka dance or something, trying to help you get well. My my point was that essentially that's what our entire medical community was. Like there was some shaman and some distant culture that had never you know had any societal contact out with the outside world if he weren't you know was in wakanda just without like all the, like the super cool gadgets um those were the functional equivalent of what our physicians recommended like i i got delta and uh i got you know in touch with the doctor and was like hey i i want you to give me some some ivermectin because i think that that works and he said that uh no and that i should take hot and short and cold showers and I'm an asthmatic. So I was like, Hey man, like I, I can't breathe. So I'm, I'm using my nebulizer treatments like I should. And he freaked out and he was like, you're spreading the COVID around your house. You're going right. to get everybody in your house COVID. And I was like, we live in the same house. Like you, this thing's supposed to be really uber contagious. Like you don't think that they're going to get it. or just being in the house with me. And we just lost our minds. It just, yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I was telling Tracy, like, uh, the human scale of emotions and, and experiences is it's kind of like having a uh, a really you know powerful car engine like get the sports car and you want to take it out and use it you, you want to be happy you want to be angry you want to be sad you want to like experience the full spectrum and in this country everybody's got it so sweet and so awesome that like we don't really get to feel angry or scared very often legitimately so that's why you see people get like angry when you know hobby lobby has a cotton display they just want to be outraged for some reason they say, oh, that's racist. And they, they scream and holler. I think people just hadn't felt scared in a long time. So they're like, you know what would be fun? So, 28 right, days just, later for like 15 days. So, <laughs> just to be clear, when you say Hobby Lobby has a cotton display, which sounds outrageous, I'm already angry. Um, you mean they had fake cotton plants? That was the the scandal Correct. that happened a while ago. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I just, like, I'm not sure everybody else does. So people uh, claimed that that was racist because they were uh some sort of kitschy chinese manufactured decoration right that was that was the yeah. goal all right. um all right and uh did you take the hot and cold showers uh no no i i'm a firm believer at that point in uh better living through dow chemical and was insisting that i needed medication and after he did that i just kind of was like you know what this whole thing's just a waste of time i'm it's either going to take me or it's not let's just grit and bare teeth because i'm not gonna you know listen to anything that this guy says who's I was sort of surprised he didn't have a mask on, you know, as he was talking to me with the, the virtual doctor. Yeah, no, that oh, it was a virtual doctor, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I actually I spoke to a, a, an uh, ears, nose, throat specialist last night. Um, really neat guy, totally wild animal. Um, you know, eats raw liver. It sounded like, and he said he weighs 150 pounds. He's 60 years old, and he bench presses 315, which is the kind of doctor I want to have. By the way, I just want just a complete savage animal. Um, but he was saying that uh, it's it's pretty well known that viruses can actually linger in the air for up to four year, or four months rather. And he said that's that's fairly well documented depending on the strain of virus. So the idea that six feet of social distancing is we were all, it's all fantasy world, it's all made up. And, and we're seeing that as Fauci has kind of been deposed. They just didn't make this, this was all just made up stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, I tried to just to point to the most absurd stuff that, you know, was like, make your head scratch, like, you know, with like the mask thing or was like, well, you wear it to protect the others, not yourself. And I was like, well, why don't you wear a second one inside out on the outside? And then it's like, 
everybody you're dealing with is wearing a mask and they don't have to wear one. That would be the same what thing. If, yeah. What if you're just carrying a mask? If you just have a mask with you, does that do the same virtual <laughs> pendant kind of thing? Uh, I mean, you know, walk into a restaurant, wear a mask and then sit down, you're fine. I was like, oh, so apparently if, as long as you're under the five feet, then, you know, you're, you're good. Well, then if that's the case and like on an airplane, nobody should, you know, everybody should all be above the, the COVID, right? We're all 30,000 feet. So we and all children should be fine at all. Yeah, children should be fine at all times. Exactly. exactly. So it, it's kind of funny. I, I was in New Mexico. Um, <laughs> this was well after any anyone was taking the masking seriously. At least I thought um, it was well after any of this stuff made any sense. Um, and I don't think it made sense for most of us who some you know if you went through military training and you understand that we, we have these things called uh, mop readiness levels. They're they're uh, now I can't think of what the heck the acronym is, but it's kind of, a, it's not relevant. There's, there's four different stages of mopping up and you put on this gear and it's like, you start off with some, you know, basic, um, whoa, whoa, protection whoa, whoa. for boots. You, you gotta don the gear. You can't. Yeah. You, you, you clearly don on the gear. I, I know you guys did this in squad <laughs> as well, but essentially by the time that you're going to deal with a, a chemical or a, a biological radioactive type, uh, you know, threat, there's like a full mask and there's duct tape around your sleeves. And I mean, you're in a plastic suit. That is how you stay away from viruses and from even from bacteria for the most part. So the idea that we're, we're going to put on this, like, uh, you know, set of underwear over our face was going to do anything. And if wearing like a pair of Hanes properly over your nose was going to do anything is insane. But anyway, I went to this, I went to this restaurant. This is where I'm getting at. I, I show up at this restaurant and I tried to sit down and I could see the table. And, um, I'm not one of these guys that like grew up in the South that can, you know, like do a spittoon from a hundred yards or anything. But as a regular guy, I'm pretty confident I could have spit on the table from the door. And I'm standing there with two small children who were clearly under five feet. So they were going to be safe anyway. And I, and the lady's like, whoa, 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 you can't come in. And there were people sitting, you know, I could have reached over and slapped the guy that was closest to me. And she's like, you can't come in without a mask. And I was like, why don't you just sit down? And she's like, no, you can't. It was a Thai restaurant. I drove 30 minutes to get there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's like in the middle of the desert. And I literally drove out there and the lady's like, you can't. And I was like, let me just make this really clear. We have five potential paying customers and I am not going to put on a mask to walk to that table under any circumstances. Are you turning down five customers? There are three customers in the restaurant right now. We're about to make your night. Nothing. She was Nothing. like, no. She's like, get yeah. out of here. So it, I left. It, it was almost as if you remember, you know, the whole, like, the, we're going to make the, did it start with 4chan that with the, we're going to make the okay symbol into a white power to see if how crazy these people are that they'll actually believe us on this. That that was like yeah. the origin story. It was almost as if it was conceived that way. It's like, I bet you that we could convince people if they put a diaper on their face. That, that it'll save them and we'll let's see if we can pull this off like well and that did, level right? of absurdity so you know you, obviously there were a couple of things that were pretty clear to some of us that pay attention um there were death rates that were given out and i noticed you you talk about the covid death rates um none of those things were knowable at the time that we were being told about them and the information seemed to come from china which i had a, you know the same conversation with this physician last night and it's like if you know anything about the Chinese, there's no reason you should ever trust them. Um, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about their government. Their government is absolutely immoral, corrupt, and it is unethical, and it would lie to us for no reason at all. So, um, in any case, that was pretty clear to us right away. And anyhow, it's a good it's a good little trip down memory lane for those people who have kind of moved on and are worried and, and angry about the midterms today. Um, you know, there's a lot of rage that we had. God, you have some pictures of people standing six feet in lines. And the spots on the the directions you had to walk through the, <laughs> the one way uh, aisles in the grocery store, right? All of it, it's just all really wild. And then the, the movement of the definitions of vaccines and what we could and couldn't take, and 
whether doctors could be doctors and lose their license. This guy that I talked to last night is on the verge of losing his license for prescribing exactly what you asked for, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And, um, you know, it's his license if he, and he had no negative outcomes. So if he had bad outcomes, that would have been something that would be a different animal. He could bring that up with the medical board, but the board was just mad that he just didn't do what they said, mm-hmm. which was insane. And I forgot about the stimulus checks too. We were paying people to just hang out. Yep. So anyway, good, good uh, jaunt down there. Really grateful for Tracy beans kind of elevating that story out again. And that's the second thing she's pushed out of yours. And so that's good yeah. to go. Let's uh, let's move on to Chris Ray tackles the tough questions. Uh, this is our illustrious FBI director who had an all hands meeting that we were not invited to. Uh, you took some actions on that. What was your steps? <laughs> so uh, we, we had it on good authority that uh, they were not going to allow anybody to watch the, the live stream by themselves. And they were going to make everybody, you know, co-mingle and obviously not obeying any COVID uh, protocols now going forward, but uh, large conference rooms and then it got to the point where they were making actual offices travel to centralized locations. Right. So, you know, obviously they don't want anybody streaming this out. They don't want it getting out so that Kyle Serafin can do mystery science theater on his podcast and just rip into this meeting. They don't want anybody recording it on an iPhone. So that, that was going to be their OPSEC process. However, it does sound fun though. <laughs> however, when you do that, people can't, uh, can't view it on the, uh, the classified system. And they can't uh, then participate in the Q&A that was supposed to be going on live. So they issued a unclassified email address to submit questions to Director Ray, which just so happened to find itself that email address in, in, in my, uh, my, my message uh, bin. So we, we blasted that out on, uh, on Twitter and True Social because we're believers in transparency and the Federal Bureau of Investigation is a servant of the American public. And uh, that the FBI director serves at, at the pleasure of the president, who is an elected official of the people. So I think that the questions should have been coming from America, not just from the uh, the contrived questions that I'm sure his uh, his folks submitted for his uh, pleasure. Yeah. So there's there's your little post here. And if you're not following Steve, it's uh, real underscore Steve friend on Truth. And then he made it complicated by making it just real Steve friend on Twitter. We'll, I don't. We'll see how I don't have dexterity to do that underscore very often. It, it, it's quite a quite a. Lift it's on only on truth. So, um, so yeah. So we, the mystery science theater thing makes me laugh because I, <laughs> I I used to love watching that stuff, and I never really knew what the heck it was because I was I was young and I was trying to figure out like where do they find these movies? Like, did they make <laughs> these movies and then just just get on them and, and just make fun of them? But no, they were legit movies. Um, so you sent out the the actual email address townhall at fbi.gov. Um, I found out from uh, our mutual friend uh, Cash Patel that uh, that he actually submitted a question. Uh, obviously, was not answered, but it was a a good kind of punch in the mouth, which I think is kind of fun. Let's see if I can actually bring it up and read it to you because it's one of those things that worth reading. He has one typo in there, and I couldn't figure out what it actually means. So I'm just going to read it as is, and I'll let you tell me what it stands for. He said the RussiaGate investigation out or Congress under then Chairman Nunes produced evidence that your agency had committed criminal activity. They lied to a federal court, and the main author of said lie was James Baker, your then general counsel, who later went on to work at Twitter. That all checks out. I don't know what the, the first sentence missing there is, but out of um, not on. Oh, got it. Out of. Um, he says, can you guarantee Americans that no other FBI employees have been involved in similar illegal conduct to censor free speech and interfere with the elections and political process? Seems fair. 
And when we expose uh, that there is in fact another bad actor or bad actors, will you again fail to hold anyone accountable? Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure Ray didn't get that. I'm guessing they filtered it, that it didn't actually make it there. But in my heart, I, I want to believe that it got there and that he seethed just a little bit because the fact that his real questions were, you want to take them, you know, and just share what some of these things that we heard came out of this thing. Um, yeah, you, you actually shared the, uh, the, the one question. I'll let you do that one. And then I have the other one that I'm going to, going to share the, my insider. Oh, you've got, yeah, you've got one hidden. So <laughs> the story was, is whether or not, um, he would ex share what his golf handicap was, which is a embarrassingly pathetic question. Um, people asked whether or not he got recognized when he went to the grocery store or the supermarket. That was mine. <laughs> oh, sorry. They gave me a bunch of these things. Uh, he was also apparently asked whether or not, uh, what it was like testifying in front of Congress. And there's one other one that was equally pathetic, but, uh, uh needless to say, when the FBI director comes, they want to know what kind of ice cream he likes and, um, if he's ever been tickled and, you know, how, how long it takes for him to brush his hair. It's, I mean, and this is what I've always called the cult of the director. I don't know if you kind of experienced that in your offices, but the cult of the director seems like an exclusively support personnel situation. And it's grown men and women who lose their ever loving minds about a very, very human being that generally speaking, like at least Comey was a, a thousand feet tall. He was at least remarkable. In the fact that, yeah. yeah. When he walked in, he said, it was like, it's free. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> it. It's like watching a middle finger, you know, parade around around all the other fingers, showing how much taller it is. Um, and in some ways, he was a middle finger to the American people. So there was that. But um, but Ray is not that. It's not as that. if he walked into like a bring your dad to work day at a grammar school. Those are the questions that you would expect from a fifth grade class. Like right. that, you know, they had prepared ahead of time to ask like the plumber dad, the same questions and the grocer dad, some questions. And then like, you know, the one kid's like, yeah, my dad's the FBI director. He's going to come in and answer the same questions. Like no complexity, no, nothing hard hitting. And I'm not, not even asking for a gotcha question. I'm just asking like, Hey, what's your vision for, you know, handling this such and such a threat or something like that. That would be, yeah. Like, how about, how expect. about the American people? The American people don't trust us. How are we going to go about the hard work of earning their trust back? That would be really good. Yeah. But, um, but that just shows you kind of the gutless nature of what goes on. And this cult of the director thing, as a kind of an example, when I was in Albuquerque, one of the women there, she was in her fifties, nice lady by all accounts. Um, you know, I, I don't have any personal animosity towards her, but then she mentioned that when she was in Albuquerque, the main office, we were down in the little RA, the, the satellite office down in Las Cruces, a couple hours away. And when she was in the main office and the director had visited, he she held the door for him once and he smiled and said, thank you. And she looked like a schoolgirl. She was thrilled. And I just thought, oh. like, you have children. Like, you, you made babies. You've done, like, remarkable things in the world. You've raised successful human beings that are out there that are living on their own two feet and making a living. And, and, and like, why in the hell would a guy who does you know, flies around in a private jet and has people carry his briefcase for him. Why is that impressive that he smiled at you? But we've created these sort of fake celebrities and, and the FBI director is one of them. And a lot of the cabinet member positions are, they fly around on private jets and they get the security detail and it makes them feel important. You know, it's not like they earn their money. And I'm not saying that all the celebrities in the world have, but it's really bizarre to see them treated like they're seeing a rock star when um, they are, you know, just kind of like a unimpressive lawyer <laughs> with, a, yeah. with just a, a mediocre haircut. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he's just he's there's nothing, but particularly about Christopher Ray, like there's nothing that is unique or novel or I mean, if you if you just walk by the guy and you're like, yeah, he's probably an insurance actuary and you know has two and a half kids and drives a Subaru and has, you know, coaches little league soccer on the weekends, you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's probably him. like nothing. And, and they got a and they got a, a 500 record. Um, <laughs> Well, so what's, what's weird is that, uh, and I've said this, you know, like I've, I've actually had him walk by me before and not know it was him. And the only reason I knew it was because it was security detail. That's not like, that's just the way that it worked. But, uh, moreover, I've always kind of imagined him as a, as kind of the same casting that you do for like a B movie, like on lifetime or on the Hallmark channel. Mm -hmm. And there's some kind of story and he's like the, the high school coach that's encouraging some minor character to do the right thing. It, with platitudes and and that's the way he speaks which it's it's troubling what's funny is is that I, we watched you know josh howley and we watched um you know some of the guys in congress recently in the last couple of weeks have kind of put him to the fire a little bit and he's not ready for it and he doesn't handle it well and you see him sputter and stuff like that and it's like well maybe if you just told people the truth some of the things that the fbi likes to hide it doesn't need to and that's going to kind of lead me to where we're going to go this is the uh the fbi's instinct to hide things is is pretty extreme um i'm going to put up this thing here can you see that too uh, this yep. is so this is this is the uh the notification that i got this week from the uh what do they call it it's the eeo it's the equal um employment yeah opportunity whatever the hell it is the fbi actually adjudicates their own eeo complaints so if you make an allegation there it is equal employment opportunity affairs and there's a, a an office within the fbi that handles these things so my first question to them, which this I, I filed this in December of last year, and my allegation was that they were in fact discriminating against me because they were only asking people who were unvaccinated to uh, to test for COVID, and I found that to be discriminatory because everybody can get COVID. That was pretty obvious at the time. It goes back to your sort of uh, your interrogating piece. You know, we knew a year ago that anybody could get it, and. So I made this allegation and I said I wasn't going to test for COVID because it was absurd unless everybody was going to test. And then I still probably wouldn't have, but at least they would have been not discriminating. And uh, first of all, it takes a year to get one of these things pushed through. In the meantime, you know, I've been suspended without pay since June. And these people, what they do is they try to they investigate themselves. My first question was, your email address ends in at FBI.gov. Under what circumstances would a normal person believe that you have any ability to impartially evaluate the agency that pays your paycheck? And the answer was, I think it was something akin to trust the process. Um, actually, I found out that the woman who actually took my intake is, in fact, mentally handicapped. She's a really nice lady, but she speaks like uh, Flash Flash 100-yard dash from Zootopia. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I thought she was screwing with me when I called her up and she was speaking like in such one word at a time that I just I almost <laughs> lost my mind. And I, I, I spit out a whole paragraph at her. I was just like the rabbit, you know, the bunny cop. I did the same thing to her. I you could did not the Ben Shapiro impression. I didn't know that she literally wasn't able to speak faster than that. She And she probably takes all day to type something up too. Like I said, a really nice lady, nothing against her at all. I'm sure she's doing the best she can do. And she's probably really honest. She also uh, handed over my EEO complaint to the FBI's attorneys when they went up against me in the uh, MSPB after assuring me that it was a confidential process. So I have no faith in the FBI's process. But what's fun is, is they had 11 different allegations of reprisals for what was... Um, 
what was done to me right after I, I made this allegation. And I don't know whether it was because I made this whistleblower complaint or whether it was because it was, you know, I refused to do COVID tests or it doesn't really matter because I don't think human beings only have one motivation. And uh, they don't accept all the reprisal pieces that you send into them. They accepted all 11 of mine. And the woman told me that she's never seen anybody have more than five. So I have maybe the record for the most number of reprisals in a row. And I didn't even include all of them. We just stopped at some point um, because there were additional things that happened after I was suspended. Even they, they refused to allow me to use my leave. They didn't accept a doctor's note as good enough for me being sick or having any kind of issues. Um, and for what it's worth, I have some VA rated cap, uh, issues that left me on a toilet and, you know, with a, a bloody toilet bowl, which is ex super exciting for me. Um, and then you end up telling this random lady in the FBI and then she's just like, that's not good enough. And it's like, really? I'll send you up. I'll send you a bag. You're going to really like this. Like I can, like, that's how much I think of you people. Um, in any case, once they finish the, the uh, complaint, they have, you know, like 360 days to finish it up. So they're due to give it to me on the 10th, which would be this Friday. I think it would round earlier or it would be next week. But instead they sent me this letter saying that they're going to exercise their discretion and they're going to unilaterally extend the time period until uh, January 11th of next year, because they're going to look for classified information in the complaint. That involves me saying I won't put a swab up my nose. Oh. And and this is kind of where the FBI lives. It lives in this world of no, you know, no transparency. And we're not out for the best interests of even the process that we're serving. The process is its own. And we just stretch it out as long as possible to be punitive, which is what you're in the middle of right now. You just are doing it a little bit. You're a little bit offset behind me on it, but you're going to get to experience it. And it's made you much madder than it made me much quicker. <laughs> I've been radicalized. <laughs> yeah, you've been, you've been, uh, you've managed to piss off my old supervisor, which I, we might as well talk about because that's pretty funny. <laughs> You want to talk about the uh, good men and women of the FBI? Sure, I'd be I'd be thrilled and enthralled. It would be nothing more pleasurable to me than to uh, discuss how the utter failure that every one of them has been. <laughs> since, Don't since hold I back, though. No, I'll, I mean I'll temper my uh, my remarks um, to the extent of I raised my hand and swore an oath to the Lord Almighty and was vetted as a person of integrity. Um, that was my job, and they can't be bothered to give up their uh, cushy GS-13 pay um, because reasons, I guess. And mm -hmm. and and we were told on a nearly daily, if not hourly basis, how we are the nation's premier law enforcement agency, and right. we have only the best people, and we uh, represent everything good about fidelity, bravery, and integrity, and the good men and women of the FBI do things that thanklessly and and you know, take care of their their fellow citizens in ways that, that even the public is not aware of. But um, when I talk to every single person and say, hey, what we're doing is wrong, right, 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 and they all nod and then just go about what they're doing, like, what's the functional difference between that and the guy that's shoving somebody onto a train and sending them off to Auschwitz? Nothing. It, it's, not too, it's not too far off. Uh, Phil won't say it right now, but uh, one of the things he used to tell me is that uh, – you know, in order to keep the pension and keep the paycheck going along, that uh, most of these people would happily, you know, kick a baby into a wood chipper or throw you as an agent into a wood chipper. They wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't even slow down if they were ordered to do so. And that was part of the gig. It's like they might be like, "Hey, should we really be doing this?" And they'd go, "Yep." And then they go, "All right, here we All go." Right. Uh, sorry, yeah. Steve. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, coming up the chipper. 
And that's the gist of the first column I wrote this week was about, you know, like I guess the oath of office is basically agreement clicking yes to a terms and conditions agreement for an iPhone update to them. It's just honestly yeah, something we say. I mean, I, like when I was talking to the ASACs that were grilling me about, you know, the, oh, Paris, the thought, like your devotion to the constitution that you swore to uphold, like what about your devotion to us, like, your duties to the FBI, right? And I just looked around the room and I was like, I, I thought I was a person of integrity. I, I guess you guys found the one who actually believed it. Yeah. And it was just like new information to them. They had never considered. They're like, Sixth Amendment? Like, what, what are you talking about? Can you can you right. explain that to me? I'm like, well, I mean, we can go into a civics lesson if you'd like. I, th- I thought you were smarter than a fifth grader, but I guess not. <laughs> no, and, and they're not teaching that to fifth graders at this point. So who knows? Um, interestingly enough, I, I remember the first time that I, I swore in, I was 27, you know, I had lived a very civilian life. I went to college I had an opportunity maybe to go to a military academy. And I thought that was for fools and that uh, people who were, went to the military were dumb. That's uh 17, 18 year old Kyle's idea. Um, you know, I dated a girl who told me she thought I'd be really happy if I became an officer. So I became enlisted and dumped her. And <laughs> that, that's just the way that my life went. Uh, she ended up marrying the officer she always wanted to, so life went really well for her, and I'm I'm so <laughs> glad that we all got where we needed to be. And I met a woman who didn't have any clue what the heck I did, but didn't really care. And yeah. uh, at 27, I stood in a in the the military entrance processing unit, the MEPS unit at uh, in Los Angeles, and put my hand up for the first time and swore into the delayed enlistment program. I guess I might have been 26 actually, because I think it was there for a year. Um, I had tears in my eyes. I was standing there with a bunch of 17, 18 year old children that had no idea what they were committing themselves to. Um, but it moved me and the idea of it still, I mean, it still moves me with the, the concept of what we basically, what you're saying, because yeah, I, I think Jordan Peterson is the person that I, I took away from it. But one of the things that he's really big on is that, you know, men specifically, um, human males need to find the heaviest burden that they can bear and potentially one that's even more than they can bear. And that gives the suffering that we all exist, you know, that we all deal with in life. It gives it meaning. And if you don't carry a burden, then you live lives like some of my brothers do. And I'm not, I'm not mad at them. I'm sort of sad for them, if that makes sense. I got two siblings that are unmarried and, um, and they're, you know, they're, they're well old enough to be married at this point. And they've met people that they've spent significant time with, uh, but they don't have any burden. They don't have children. They have no idea. They're living these carefree lives and going surfing and telling me like, I don't know what kids like uh, for Christmas. And it's like, mm-hmm don't send anything or do whatever you want. Like, I don't know. I'm not trying to infringe on your life. I'm glad you have a, a, you know, classes, you go to do yoga and stuff on Fridays. That sounds really wonderful. I really wish you had like pledged your life to help somebody else and carry them along with you. And anyone who's married that has a successful marriage will know that. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. You got to have that. It's, it's, it's actual physical change. I mean, I went to a wedding on January 1st of this year. Um, uh, and, uh, when my cousins got married and he's, you know, one of these like, you know, late, bloomers will call him you know he got the same sounds like your brothers but he eventually committed right and all his yep. buddies are and you could see that there was a mix of guys who were all in sort of like you're my age range and the guys that were single and the guys who were married with kids and there was a physical it was a very apparent that just on the dance floor i was like if somebody screams fire like i knew first like without a doubt we're all gonna follow that guy not that guy and it was right. the guy with the kid with a little girl who was dancing on his feet because you knew like, he's going to get us out of here if we need to, because he just right. demonstrates that, that, that responsibility. It's very apparent. And what's funny is, is that everybody wants to wait until they think they're ready. And and I'm guilty of the same thing. I did get married till I was 31. Um, my best friend out of high school got married right out of high school, like 
weeks, months later, whatever it was, um, you know, his, his, my, my youngest right now is not two years old and his oldest is a sophomore in college and his youngest <laughs> is about to graduate high school. And like, we're the same age, yeah. you know, like his youngest kid is 12 years older than mine. Um, wow. my 12 years older than my oldest. So your oldest. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he grew up immediately. That's what you have to do. And, and I, I wish we could pass that along. Um, you know, so this is all kind of about responsibilities, but a transition here into my favorite uh, little thing where we're, this is pre-crime and punishment. Uh, we're going to go into an investigative summary because the, uh, the office of inspector general is theoretically the group that has the burden and they're the ones that are supposed to do the investigations when the FBI screws up, they're supposed to have responsibility. They're supposed to shoulder that burden. They're supposed to do the right thing when something has failed catastrophically in an agency that is tasked with doing the right thing. And they failed you. So I'll let you talk about your your uh, yeah. situation. And then we'll read another one here. All right. Uh, yeah, my same complaint that I've sent across the board, sent to the Senate, sent it to uh, the House, sent it to uh, special counsel, sent it to the OIG. I uh, heard back from them Friday afternoon of uh, last week, you know, going to that federal Friday. I'm sure they were just send, click send and out the door. Um, yep. They were going to decline um, the, the nature of my complaint, but they uh, wanted to make it available to me. Should I want that? They gave me a check. Yes or no. On Do you want to submit this to the FBI's inspection division for an internal review where they can essentially decide if they were uh, made a mistake themselves, they can judge themselves. And we have the utmost faith in the FBI. And so in order to instill some more of that, I'm going to share this little piece here, this nugget on how much this kind of stuff goes on. So um, if if you're listening to this, uh, this video podcast, uh, if you're listening to what we're talking about, you can actually go and flag this on your browser. It's kind of an interesting thing. I'll continue to put these out as they come up. Um, the Office of the Inspector General, Department of Justice has a website. It's oig.justice.gov. If you're listening on audio, uh, OIG for Office of Inspector General, justice.gov. And they release these things that are called investigative summaries. They are the results of their investigations that they have been referred to, usually internally. Uh, someone has made an allegation that there was a wrongdoing, and then they take these, you know, uh, what's really interesting is uh, we'll get into why <laughs> you got company. Um, they they do these these long investigations. Sometimes they'll go on for 18 months. Sometimes they'll go on for two years. So these are almost always telling us something that has happened dramatically in the past. And the best part is, is that they keep it shrouded in secrecy. They don't put any names to it. They don't say the specifics. They'll give you this summary. Um, and the person who did it almost always walks. So I'm going to read this one. It just says the Department of Justice, DOJ, Office of the Inspector General, OIG, initiated an investigation upon receipt of information from the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, alleging that after retiring, a former FBI unit chief, that's going to be what, a GS-15? Does that sound right, Phil? Yep. Yep. GS-15, so that's the top of the federal pay scale, may have made communications to the FBI with the intent to influence matters uh, with which the unit chief had been personally and substantially involved in while working at the FBI in violation of federal law. Okay, so allegation that there was a violation of federal law. That's that's what brought this complaint in. During the investigation, the OIG found that the evidence, and their standard, by the way, is the preponderance of the evidence, which is not quite, um, you know, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. This is not conviction in court. It's good enough for civil uh, proceedings is it's the way that this is set 51%. up. 51%. Right? Is that the deal? It's like yeah. it it tips over. Um, mm -hmm. So this this would still be something that they would have to 
to prove if they were going to prosecute. But um, during the investigation, the OIG found that the uh, evidence that before retiring, the former unit chief may have engaged in misuse of position to benefit a family member. That's a big no-no in violation of federal ethics regulation and FBI policy, as you would expect. The OIG investigation substantiated the allegation that the former unit chief knowingly communicated with the new unit chief, so left the job and let someone else come into it and and communicated with them uh, with the intent to influence matters with which the former unit chief had been personally and substantially involved while working at the FBI and told the new unit chief to approve a payment. This is where it gets spicy to approve a payment that was in a disputed matter involving the former unit chief's new employer in violation of federal law. So to break that down, the uh, the unit chief left, retired, got hired by another company, and then went back to the person that replaced them and said, go ahead and approve this disputed payment. And so they were immediately basically a kickback Um on behalf of this new employer. And that's clearly a violation of federal law because you you have to, if there was a dispute, in fact, I may have even known who made this complaint now that I think about it. Um, I, I can't substantiate that. So the OIG investigation found that the former unit chief, while still employed by the FBI, engaged in misuse of positions. So this is the charge, misuse of position by intervening both at the FBI field office and a local law enforcement agency on behalf of a family member in a business matter in violation of federal ethics regulations and FBI policy. So that's misuse of position, misuse of authority, that kind of thing. Uh, prosecution of the former unit chief was declined. Standard. That's the way we do it. As you notice, there's no names here. Uh, the OIG completed their investigation and they provided a report and they gave it to who? The FBI for its review and actions that it deemed appropriate, which are going to be exactly none because the FBI doesn't do anything about this stuff because this person's no longer employee handled they escaped, they win, their new employer got paid, good to go. Um, and that is and that is a lot of how these summaries go. We'll see that uh, somebody was investigated. They were, you know, uh, there was one I put out a little while ago. It showed that the, a former special agent in charge of one of the field offices had engaged in sexual contact with a subordinate in a bureau vehicle, in an FBI vehicle, and was able to retire, kept his pension, um, never named. And that person can go on and, and go into any corporation and do any kind of work there's no shame. They just continue to operate uh, under the sort of that that banner of a, of a uh, FBI employee who did something for 25 years honorably, when in fact, there's credible information that they in fact were not honorable, like so many of them. So uh, pretty awful, pretty sad, but pretty standard. I think, uh, yeah, you have any two cents on that? We'll do crime and punishment here in a second. <laughs> no, just it's even worse than that. That guy, you know, the, the SAC, he's going to go get a baller job because he was a special agent in charge. You know, he he can say that he had executive experience and that's going to you know land him on a board somewhere that he's going to basically get be on easy street for the next 10, 12 years while collecting a pension that he's probably not entitled to. Yeah, very likely. Um, and and yeah, it's it's just the DOJ uh, needs to be investigated by something that's outside of DOJ. It's absurd that that's that it's internal. That's number one. Like I say, how are you going to appropriately handle things? And DOJ and FBI are, are a hand in a glove. So the idea that the DOJ is going to look at my complaint and give me some sort of justice out of it is absurd. Well, I mean, um, and you connect, connected to the questions that went to Christopher Beret, like, you know, do you get recognized at a grocery store? What's your golf handicap? The people that have that level of maturity to ask those questions are like children. Would you trust your children to uh, to uh, investigate their own misconduct or would you just bring the hammer down on them and ground them? Excellent point. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I'd love to see an independent 
you know, outside agency. And they also need to have prosecutorial authority to be able to bring their own cases and prosecute their own cases. Because as we can see right now, that's why we have the corruption that we have, I think, um, is that there's no ability to internally regulate this. At least when you're dealing with the police department and there's an internal affairs investigation and they're going to come up with whatever they come up with, there's an outside agency that is unaffiliated and sometimes adversarial in a district attorney or uh, the state attorney general's office that can go in there. There's a check and a balance against that internal misconduct. And the attorney generals usually have their own investigative squads. They have state police that can go and look into it. There's just nothing like that for the federal government when it comes to the OIG. Um, that's what they're supposed to be, but they I don't think they can do it. I they're, They answer to the same people that they are supposed to be policing, and they can only get so spicy within those confines. So uh, with that, let's bring up the crime and punishment section. This is my favorite. I think it's Phil's favorite. Um, so once again, for background, we're going to be reading out of the office of professional responsibility quarterly. This is a quarterly production that is made that is not public by any means. This is probably the only place you're going to be able to hear about these things. Um, they are sent out to FBI employees and mass all 36,000, get them in their email on an FBI all. And what they do is they, uh, tell us all of the investigations that have been completed, the alleged crime, the substantiation of that crime and the punishment that that person ensued supposedly as a way, I think it's just, uh, I think it's just gossip. I think it's just like our version of a tabloid. Um, but theoretically it's supposed to let people know that in fact, these processes are being worked internally and that investigations are happening when wrongdoing is alleged. So I, I don't know if that's ever stopped anybody because some of these things are so ridiculous and they keep happening. Um, well, how many are you going to give us today? Maybe two uh, I'll give three? You three. Yeah, I'll give you three ones. Okay. Uh, and, and this is must reading. I mean, like, I, Lord knows how much the federal taxpayers out when the day that the OPR quarterly drops because no work is done for several hours. Correct. Um, so, all right. Employee dated a man who had prior criminal convictions and a pending felony charge. Employee allowed him to move in with her. Employee failed to report that he was living with her as required under FBI's cohabitant and roommate policy. Uh, the employee was also aware that her boyfriend was legally purchasing prescription drugs and she was assisting him by driving him to meet his dealer. She also allowed him to store his drugs in her home. Employee eventually purchased a car for her boyfriend, even though she was aware that his license was revoked due to his past history of DUIs. When questioned, the employee lied about the status of the relationship, her boyfriend's criminal history, and being present when he purchased drugs and the storage of the drugs in her home. Okay, that's termination. There's there's a lack of candor in there. So we're done with that person. Any, What do you think, Phil? Uh, yeah, resigned after it was clear they'd be dismissed. Nah, I think I guess she fought it. She got dismissed. She was dismissed, lack of candor, failure to report in proper relationship and drug possession and use. Fantastic work. So just kind of um, to piggyback on the enabling of uh, illegal behaviors. When I was in Albuquerque or in Albuquerque Division out of Las Cruces, the woman that I sort of inherited the Indian reservation from, which was however brief, it was only months, uh, had apparently been doing it for years. And I think you can appreciate how absurd this is. This is the reason why there's a lot of policy around these kind of things. She decided to adopt a uh, a, a sex assault victim, but there's a federal law that says that white people cannot adopt Indians. So she just sort of pretended to adopt this person, even though there was no legal status, took her into her home. She was 16 years old. Um, she'd been you know, sexually abused. And according to the woman who claims to be an, an expert on this, uh, said that she was a, um, a sex addict at the age of 16 and that her best life would probably be prostitution. That's probably the best way that she could make a living and that she might not make it very long. This is a pretty dark. Uh, I mean, and, and the woman's story is really sad. The, the young girl's story is sad. Anyway, brought her into her house uh, with her husband. 
and gave her a car, same way. And this woman is uh, a methamphetamine abuser and also on significant prescription medications to include uh, psychotropic medications for her. Um, she was psychotic, you know, diagnosed psychotic. Uh, so this went on for a while and probably didn't go well. And they kept finding like random Johns in her house, uh, you know, underage sex happening that she's basically facilitating in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, the girl decided to go off her meds and put the agent who quote unquote adopted her in the hospital. They went to the emergency room together. Um, and then they decided to rent her a room at a no hotel motel and try to sign her up for college classes so that she could go because she failed out of high school. Continued to pay for all of her prescription medications, um, transported her around, let her drive on one of their vehicles. Her husband, of course, is a retired um, GS-15, which is also interesting, but another FBI and an FBI contractor. So the two of them, and I'm sure they never reported this, but I'm the guy that got suspended out of that office because I went out and exercised my Second Amendment rights. Meanwhile, they're facilitating child prostitution um, and drug acquisitions. And um, it's just, arguably, it's kind of wild. They arguably human trafficked that girl too. Well, and the danger is, and the reason why you don't do it is because you have somebody that's so vulnerable that is obviously in a place of easily, you know, that's easily uh, trafficked and or exploited. And so luckily these two people are very honest human beings. And I think they were doing the best they could do with what they thought, but there, you, you can't do that. <laughs> there's no question that if that was light to the FBI, they would be destroyed. Like there's no way that person could retire. Um, they would be removed. That's just an, a critical failure in judgment. Um, I guess as long as she didn't lie about it, they'd probably let her stay. That's the lack of candor thing. Um, but shockingly, like this kind of stuff, it's like just incredible bad decision-making by people that have a national security clearance. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's what you get when you hire people that are somewhat young, they have a short track record, which is why they're able to get a TS clearance. I, I think my background investigation took a lot longer. And I think Phil's took a little longer too, because we're a little bit older. And when you come in with a little bit of life experience, I know cops have a hell of a time going through it because they grill you guys over the polygraph. Mm -hmm. um, because of the potential that you've abused your badge somewhere and they, they put you through the ringer to make sure that you're not trading one badge for a bigger badge and causing more problems, which is great. But, uh, yeah, we get a lot of these just bizarre stories. If you stick around the bureau. All right. Give me, uh, give me the other two. All right. Uh, following weapons qualification at the range employee placed a bureau issued firearm in a bag in the back of a bureau SUV. The SUV did not have a trunk or trunk security chain and had been outfitted, not, uh, not been outfitted with a lockbox. Employee left the firearm in the back of the vehicle for an extended period of time. Employee failed to comply with the bureau policy. Uh, over, it was about uh, approximately two months later, the uh, employee realized that the firearm had been stolen from the vehicle. In mitigation, mm -hmm. they had 25 years of FBI service, working long hours, supporting a high priority case. An aggravation employee left the weapon stored in the vehicle for two months and is uncertain exactly when and where the weapon was stolen. Didn't lie about it. Weapon violation. I'm going to say seven days. I'm going to say less. I'm going to say three days. Yeah, that was my initial instinct, but I feel like because they didn't know when it was reported, it goes longer. Anyway, go with it. Nailed it. Seven days. Seven <laughs> days. Man, I, I, go, I don't get these in advance, by the way. I just have a really good memory <laughs> for how bad these, like how these mitigations work. All right. Last one. Uh, employee sent a threatening and vile email to his girlfriend's ex-husband. Following yes. the threats, the ex-husband obtained a temporary protective order against the employee. The process server attempted to serve the subpoena on the employee. When the process server knocked on the employee's door, the employee threatened to shoot him. The employee yes. failed to report to his supervisor or SECD that a temporary protective order had been issued against him and that he had an upcoming hearing. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> two weeks. Nobody got hurt. Nobody lied. 
they should be fired. I, they should be fired, but I don't think they did. Yeah, I agree. How- they should be fired. I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to say uh, 30 days. Bill's close. It's 25 day suspension. Yeah, it's right in between. That's so stupid. <laughs> so 25 days suspension for threatening to shoot a process server and uh, sending malicious and dangerous emails and being a general a-hole and then not telling anybody that you have like actual derogatory court process indefinitely removed from job for shooting in the desert or telling your boss that nobody died on January 6th and I don't feel good about your heavy-handed tactics. We're living in the upside down. So there is that. Um the FBI is beyond repair. Sebastian Gorka interviewed me today and asked me what camp I'm living in right now. I said, I've set up my tent over with, uh, um, what is it? Is it Jonathan uh, Gillum? He's a former SEAL, former agent that's been interviewed on his show a few times. Steve Gray, who's retired and was out of the New York office, ran for uh, Congress. Dan Bongino. They're all kind of on record saying um, it's got to be shut down. Where, where's your camp? Where you, Where's your tent living um, I, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's just got to be dissolved if I, we lived in a vacuum, but I don't think anybody's going to have the cojones to pull it. So there just needs to be massive, you know, structural reform. And, and you and I have even talked about offline about like potential you know, reforms that could be done. I think we just got those to the right people. There could be a actual progress made. Yeah. I'd like to see everybody with a GS 14 and higher interviewed for their jobs. Basically anybody that, that went along with the COVID tyranny should probably not ever be in a supervisory position and those of them that were honestly it's funny for me uh, the people that believed what they were doing was right i'm a little bit more sympathetic of I, I think that there's the possibility that you're a true believer and you're just foolish and i'm open to them being trained on what federal law actually says they're supposed to do i think the people that knew it was wrong which is a substantial portion of the people that you and i have interacted with but did it anyway i think those people should be trashed and never have a federal job again um, that's just me, but yeah, I don't know that anybody has, like you said, I don't know if anybody has the stones to, to tear apart. There's nothing closer to, what do they say? There's nothing closer to eternal life than a government program. I think that was Ronald Reagan's, that's a paraphrase, um, or eternal life on earth, something to that effect. That's right. Uh, even, yeah, even the ATF, which was almost disbanded at one point, uh, now has a, a fully constitutionally infringing existence, just, uh, bothering people and not looking into cartels. And the OIG can just. Dis- the weapons that were uh, used in the Fast and Furious scandal, uh, that sh- there should be civil legation. They just uh, announced yesterday, the OIG recommended they destroy those uh, weapons. Well, we wouldn't want them to be held accountable for all the things that they, those weapons may have done, right? That'd be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just be kind of a black eye for the previous administration that Joe Biden was a part of. So that's kind of <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, never, never say the government doesn't look after itself, right? Uh, and that is, and that, that comes from people who work for the government, you know, like, uh, you've worked for the local government, but you got almost 10 years FBI time now at this point. And, you know, I've got 10 years of federal service between the, um, air force and, and the FBI. And it's just like, it's always the same. It's always the same yep. thing. They, you don't get any change. I don't think we'll get it, but, um, uh, we can still wish for it. Anyhow, um, folks, thanks for listening to uh, our little chat here. I uh, hope this uh, had some meaning for you. If you enjoyed it, I bet Phil have some plugs for us. Phil, what, what's our what's our outro plugs? Yeah, so we've got two outro plugs. Uh, first, reminding folks to support suspended FBI whistleblowers. If you want to check out that link in the description box. And uh, if you can't donate, just feel free to hit the pray button. We review all of them, and it helps lift everyone's spirits. And secondly, don't forget to check out the Kyle Serafin Show on Podbean or Spotify or iTunes 
give us a five-star review, write the review, and we might read the good ones on the next episode. Yeah, there was a couple of good ones, including something about the Dolce base, which uh, involves probably at least five minutes of explanation on my end. So that's a, that's one of those classic stories of telling your supervisor something that makes their head spin around backwards because they don't even know if you're being serious. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I was being serious or not either. So that's pretty good. Um, folks, thanks for listening to us. Uh, follow uh, Real Steve Friend at Real Steve Friend on Twitter. And then it's Real underscore Steve Friend on Truth Social. I'm the only person who knows how to get those right. I promise you won't have anybody else hawking your your title that way. Um, and uh, I'm at Kyle Serafin on both Twitter and on Truth. Uh, we just hit 23,000 followers on Twitter today, which is insane because I've only been on social media for something like six weeks. So I'm, I'm uh, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, closer to 10 weeks. Yeah. It's a month and two months and change. Um, folks, I'm really, I'm, I'm really humbled that people actually care what I have to say. I always cared what I had to say, but uh, I always assumed that was just because it was coming out of my mouth. It's uh, it's very nice to see some of the uh, the good reactions. And I always know that we're over the target when we start taking flack and some wild lefties come in and tell me that I'm a piece of garbage. That actually makes me happy. It also makes me a better Christian because um, it just makes me take a deep breath and realize that everybody's a human being and maybe they wouldn't say that to my face. I hope if they did, I would actually kind of enjoy it. Probably I'm that kind of guy, but, uh, try to be kind to each other when you're on there. I love, uh, all the comments. I actually do read almost every single thing that you guys either truth or, uh, or tweet back at me. And I, um, I will respond to most of them. You'll find unless it's, uh, just been answered 10 times already. And I got tired. So, uh, thanks so much for listening to us and, uh, join us next time. We're out of here. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.